You're listening to the Legendarium Blue Team. You have chosen wisely. Please go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. I'm going on a tangent. You're welcome, everybody. What? That's never happened before. (laughs) It's my first tangent. Well, how you doing, Wild Earp? You know, I mean, it was... (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to take you down now. School, school. I just... I'm like, I got to see this. Welcome to the Legendarium. We are the blue team and we are excited to be in the studio. Not only are we excited to be talking, but we're excited to be in the studio. I know. So I think I think that the listeners are excited for us to be in the studio. It's been a long time coming to get to this when, point. Yeah. When was the last time we got together? March? Uh, I think so. Like March 14th or something? Yeah, some, Actually, the three of us in the same space it yeah. was probably uh, yeah, before March. Probably. It might have been right before... Let's let's just say that it was before 2020 reared its ugly head and said, <laughs> and just kind of blew the crap out of all of us. So, you know, <laughs> we are now midway through or nearly midway through. There you go. I'm never getting over your impression of 20. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll share with all of you where that one came from later. But but we are, we as you can tell, we're a little giddy. We've had some pizza. We've had some Coke. Uh, Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola, um, in honor of Harry. Yeah. And yep. talking about are, Star Wars in honor of Harry. We've talked about Star Wars in honor of Harry. We are ready I'm to dive into this book. I've officially applied for the position of Zalord. <laughs> oh, by bringing yeah. Zalord. Yeah. I don't know. Job opening. Well, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I, I will say, I will say I'm impressed that you took such a, a, a huge amount of time to grieve before you applied for the position. Um, we are, of who course... Who says you can't do two things at once? We are, of course, talking about changes. Um, so I, I guess it's fair to say we all kind of liked the book. Yeah. I could say and it's, it's to fair say. to say that there are going to be all the spoilers. I mean, all, all of our Dresden happens. files, we just assume that if you've read it, or if you care about spoilers, that you will read it first. Yeah, we the, the, especially with these books, they are not... They they are they are decent decent sized books. They're mm-hmm. they're meaty enough mm-hmm. to capture your attention and hold it for a period of time, unless you're like us and we just kind of devour them as insane kind of creatures. True. Um, but if you if you haven't read the book, wow, stop now, and you know go through all of the ups and downs and the emotional upheaval, and then come back and join us because we just we just can't. This this book is it's packed full of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But this book it's also a runaway train, and there's not really a there's not really a point where we can say, so yeah, we're going to stop talking about this right at this point, and we're not going to talk about it. no, we're no. it's all on the table today, folks. And uh, and honestly, if you don't care about the spoilers, you're just here for the conversation and the the broad strokes. Then welcome, and then welcome too. Hopefully, yeah. we yeah. do a good job of that. You know, if you're getting ready for the release of the last book, and the way that you're going to do it is not by reading all of the books. Shame on you. <laughs> um, but you just want to come here and listen to us talk about it. That's uh, thank you and. Shame on you at the same time. So, and we're probably going to record another episode for this book. So, we anticipate that this book by itself gets at least two episodes. We, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so come along, join us and for the knows, conversation. Episodes, join us on we might Discord. Have more to talk about. We're going on an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got there's going to be a lot of tears today, and they're not all going to come from me. <laughs> oh, we do have a box of Kleenex. That's good. Yep, okay, we're going to yeah. be fine. Yeah. All right. Ken, do we have a recap? Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, I didn't even think about that. Oh, jeez. Poor All right, Ken. Ken, go for it. You've really got to admire an author who tells you right up front what the book is about and then proceeds to make it happen. The changes come fast, and boy, they just keep coming. One nut shot after another, leaving us a little like Star-Lord. You missed the first time, but you got them both for the second time. So... <sighs> <sighs> You can tell it's serious because Max says words, more words than he's ever said in the rest of the series combined. Full sentences and everything, conjugation, all of it. He says things. That's how serious it is. Fortunately, Harry Blackstone Copperfield Dresden is just such a reasonable, measured wizard who thinks things through and plans before acting. So we got that going for us. For starters, remember how he always maintained, how we always maintained that Harry would take up the mantle of the winter night for a good reason sometime well 
Harry has a daughter, and the Red Court has some duplicitous plan to use the girls to play mind games with and effectively decapitate the entire White Council in a grand plot that reaches all the way back to the very, very beginning of Stormfront. Guess that's a pretty decent reason to become the Winter Lady's scalp hunter. It was really the best of the worst options, if you think about it. Yeah. So the Red Court and the White Council are each playing mind games, attempting to fire up the Red-White War, and Harry's heretofore unknown daughter is the cat's paw to get the action moving. Duke Ortega's widow wants to get revenge and fracture the White Council by sacrificing the girl. The White Council wants to let them, because why wouldn't they? Thus, it gives them an excuse to exterminate the entire Red Menace, and in the process, Harry's office, car, apartment, staff, and blasting rod... <laughs> are all blown up. Not only does that clean the slate for Harry to start over, it also gets him to put on a terrorist watch or gets him put on a terrorist watch list and it gets Murphy fired. But before they can go house and job hunting, there's this business of saving the little girl. So Harry calls in all of his markers, including his fairy godmother and Sonya, who conveniently just shows up, which, (laughs) hey, anytime Sonya is in a book, I'm happy. So with so much better English. Oh my gosh. With so much better English. He's so funny. (laughs) He's great. Large but fierce. After a quick side trip to break some half vampires out of federal custody and really, real cool, really, really cool. Wow, I can speak. And a really cool visit to the Earl King. We're talking about that. <laughs> Team Harry makes their way to Chichen Itza. And this is where things get really awesome. A duel to the death with Duchess Ariana, a double cross by the Red King. Everything looks doomed until the cavalry arrives. I mean, big time. Ebenezer rides in with the rest of the Grey Council, wielding the actual freaking Black Staff. Yep. uh, To save his grandson. His grandson. Holy moly. Granddaughter. (laughs) Oh, nope. Just kidding. Great grandson and great granddaughter. Yeah. Yeah. Only for Harry to be double crossed yet again, this time by that blonde douche Martin who may have actually had the most elaborate grand scheme of all time by compelling Susan to go full on red vamp, which opens the way for Harry to kill her on the altar and eradicate the entire red court. The entire red court. I really did not see that coming. I didn't either. There were so many things I did not see coming. I used to see in twists. I saw one twist. I didn't see that. Oh my gosh. So... Action of Sandersonian proportions, and that's it. Girl rescued, everyone goes home. Nothing else happens after that, right? Nope. Yeah. So so now that Harry is the Winter Knight, how does he get out of being the Winter Knight? Stop. Go back. <laughs> go back. I was We're wondering if he's go gonna, back. I was wondering if he's gonna catch it. Go back. <laughs> go back. Girl saved. Everyone goes home. Nothing else Nothing happens, else happens after no. that, right? Harry and Murphy get together, happily ever after. Except <laughs> somebody dies. Old Yeller is fine Does he? In the end. We don't know if he does. Old He's Yeller's, dead. Old uh, Yeller's fine in the He's end. I don't know dead. that I believe that. All right. So it's worse than that. So, He's dead, Jim. Dead, Jim. Dead, Jim. It's worse than that. There's Klingons on the starboard bow, starboard bow, starboard bow. <laughs> oh, sorry. This, he doesn't ever talk about Star Trek. Wait, he yes, should. he does. He set phasers on snark. Can I get I'm to sorry, the question? I'm sorry, finish your question. Go ahead. Can I get to Go the question? I'm sorry. All right. Now that- <laughs> no, he's not. I'm not either. I hate you all so much. <laughs> I don't. I love you both very much. All right. So now that Harry's the new winter night, how does he get out of the job? Or does he come to enjoy it? Where does the removal of the red court and more importantly, the disappearance of Harry leave Marcone? A lot of vacuum that's looking for power to fill it. And Marcone is just an opportune man. So what to make of the fact that Marcone and Harry both run with Norse gods? (laughs) Interesting. Yes. On a scale of one to 10, how pissed were you when you realized that you should have known that Blackstaff is Harry's grandfather? Because I'm at about 17. Oh my gosh. I laughed so hard when I got to that point because you guys... Ken finished this book about three days before I did, and he kept sending me emoji texts, and one of them was just like five guys with their heads exploding, and so as soon as I got to that reveal with Blackstaff, I knew that that's what it was, and I cracked up, and I was like, yes, you're welcome, Ken. And neither of them would talk to me about anything. I'm sure it was killing them for like two weeks because I was finishing another book. Yeah. I seriously, so, I, that's all right. I was so mad. I'm like, how did I not see that coming? That seems so obvious. And finally, oh yeah, who shot Harry Dresden? I have my guesses. Oh, we'll be talking. Do we want to start there? That. No, we don't want to start no. there. Nah. Remember, guys, hope is a force no, no. of nature. Don't let anyone other t- or tell you otherwise. And also, I'm no coffee drinker, but for the record, orange juice is in no ways healthier than coffee. It's not. <laughs> okay. What? Okay. That, that is so random. 
Way to go, Ken. It's not. Molly has him on a health kick regimen, so she gives him orange juice instead of coffee. Uh, I have to. I, oh, have, okay. I just went. I have um, to kind of agree. There's no. There's no value. Mm -mm. Well, I mean, there's value, but there's not that value. Okay, so anyway, we aren't going to get distracted by that. Um, of all the things that we need to talk about today. That recap was so much longer than it should have been. Um, you, I'm looking at you guys. Yeah, but what a beautiful <laughs> recap it was. Oh my gosh. Um, it was excellent. This book. It reminded me of when we got done with Oathbringer and I was like, I feel like I need a cigarette. Yeah. 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 Holy cow, this book is so full of stuff. I and like with Dresden Files, I so often I'll read the book and feel like I just read, you know, three books. And this one I feel like I read eight books. And I was exhausted. I read it all in like a six day period. And you know me, I like to read them with my eyeballs. Yeah. And it just was so much. And then I, you know, we had a reason to stay home and just read. Some of us did. Yeah. Uh -huh. Should we talk about all the twists? I mean, because. Nah. I'm just is kidding. that what we're on? I mean, first, because I mean, seriously, Harry's grandfather, that which also makes sense why Ebenezer would go, oh, yeah, you should go rescue her. Yeah. Well, and part of that so is, I mean, he's he's talking as a dad where he had a daughter, so he would right. understand kind of where Harry's feeling there, even though Harry just found out about this. But again, like the black stuff, knowing how much it would mean to Harry to have any family at all. Yeah, there is a there is a really interesting piece that I that I found fascinating as as Jim Butcher weaves it through this whole thing. And that is the question of deception in in most in most literature. Uh, I, I, I talk about it all the time. If people would just be honest with each other, most of the interesting parts of literature, movies, uh, uh, Broadway shows, all of it would be gone because the only thing that makes things really interesting is watching people try to keep up with the lies that they are telling mm -hmm. because they think they're doing somebody a favor because they think they're doing the right thing. There, there are, there are two, well, there's multiple pieces of deception, but for me, there were two really fascinating pieces of deception that come to a head in this book. One of them is Harry's decision not to tell anybody that he has a daughter. He's, yeah. He goes through the whole first half of this book. I'm yeah. not going to tell anybody. I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm it'll, not going to tell it'll anybody. It'll just put her in danger. I'm going to hold on to this information. I'm going to give everybody else a reason to do this that doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm not sure if that is one of the most selfish acts that I've ever seen of anybody from that from that standpoint, or if it's one of the most noble. But it is a key factor that keeps things from happening more effectively yeah. early on. Yeah, yeah, it's something I I get where he's coming from in the larger scheme of what, well, and it's kind of funny because yes, you should keep this a secret so that the bad guys don't find out and try to use her as leverage against you. This is not the moment for that. This is the moment to tell your friends, we got to go get her because this is my daughter. Let's go. And then he hides her at the end, which is smart. But he castigates Susan for the exact same thing mm -hmm. at the beginning. You we had a daughter and you didn't tell me. We had a daughter. Yeah. And you didn't tell me. Yeah. We had a daughter and you let me not know. Well, I thought it was going to be for your best benefit. I kind of wanted at some point when Harry's talking to, to uh, McCoy, when he's when he says at first, it's it's a little girl. It's the principle of the thing. No, Hoss, it's not. One life can go as long as it allows yeah. millions of others to live. Let it go. I'm like, you dipwad. Tell yeah. him the same thing. Don't do the, to yeah. him what you, you accuse Susan of doing to you. And, you know, anyway, that was, that's just me. That's just me. Yeah. No, it's not just you. <laughs> it really, it really would have. There are so many books that we have read where things would have gone so much easier if people would just talk to each other. Well, and, and maybe there, I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Keep going. I, 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 I think maybe, maybe for me, one of the, one of the big, you know, we talk sometimes about level one, two, and three. Um, one of the level three pieces that continues to come to me as I read and as I do more and more work with literature across all genres, across all uh, different different kinds of perspectives and whatnot, is this idea, you know what, just just be principle centered and tell people the truth. And yeah. those kinds of, the, the, for me at least, that now having said that, yes, I keep things from my wife. I have not told my wife about her Christmas present for years. And part of the reason that I do that is because we have an agreement that that is an area where we can leave things alone mm -hmm. because there's a reason for it. Yeah. 
Christmas morning is so much more fun when I have something to surprise her with. Yeah. But when it comes to big pieces of our lives, i.e., do I have a child with somebody else? No, sweetheart, I do not. Um, <laughs> or any of those kinds of things. Then, yeah, just tell the truth. Tell people, full disclosure. Well, tell the people you care about. Tell your best friends. Like I can understand you not wanting to run down the street, you know, telling all your, everybody you know, and all the bad guys and everybody right. that, because when you tell somebody a secret, you're basically trusting like the people that they trust because you don't know what they're going to say to other people. Right. But in this situation, if Harry approached his friends with that and said, hey, I just found something out um, and tells them the situation and like, I'd rather this not go very far because I'm kind of concerned about her safety. They would understand. Yes, yeah. they would. And they do end up understanding that when they do finally find out, but it takes him so long to get to that point. And again, like, We've been reading through all these books. This is the 12th one where he's been building this family, creating the support system for himself. He continues to have a hard time trusting other people to help him. Yeah. Um, even to the point where he feels like he's alone in this secret where he, he can't even, he kind of talks to Susan about it, but he's so angry. It's hard to talk with her. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there's a big difference between telling somebody like the Merlin who you don't trust <laughs> yeah. for good reason and telling, telling McCoy. Okay. Who okay. you, of course, trust. Yeah. We, we, now that you've mentioned him, we need to talk about the Merlin. Well, hold on. Let's, let's, let's no, say, no, 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 no. Let's ask, a, or, okay, we'll talk we about Merlin. We got to go back to a couple of Maggie questions. Because the Merlin, because this Merlin moment was so much fun. I got to tell you, when, when he describes the Merlin showing up in this little conversation <laughs> that he's having with, with Anna, uh, as, as showing up with his, with his uh, tactical gear and two wands in holsters. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like a gunslinger out of the Old West or maybe a special operative and saying to himself, it looked like it was modeled after a special operative. Although, on further thought, it was probably the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm saying to myself, I I I've created this picture and I'm like, he needs a 10-gallon hat, walk around with a big handlebar mustache and say, well, how you doing, wild erp? You know, I mean, it was just, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to take you down now. School, school. I just, I, I'm like, I gotta see this. <laughs> you, you need to read A Fistful of Warlocks. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. It in, is on my list. Cases, it yeah. is on my list. Anyway, it's it's in briefcases. It's a short story. Uh, brief recap. Anna Lucio in the Old West. Yeah. Yeah. There love you go. it. I love it. Anyway. Um, but so, even then, seeing the, uh, him, Harry immediately goes to the White Council for help and the it's it hasn't been long since they've had the new guy in as the new council member and he's already just completely screwing Harry over. He's yeah. completely a butthead. He's, well, well, and he's screwing everybody over where Lucio is even like, Harry, I'm still on your side. I'm going to stay here so that I can feed you information where I can. And then she ends up not being any help at all. Yeah. yeah. What's up with that? Not just know. her, but about 60 wizards or something like that. Yeah. Because, yeah. and it sounds like she was... She was forcibly put to the yeah. to the sideline, but the others were made sick by uh, yeah. Duchess Ortega. I sent you this with some from someone that I trust, but that's all. Yeah, yep. it's like okay. We, so she was she was under scrutiny. She was not taken down by this yeah red court plague yeah. that the Duchess brought. It is it is it is comforting to me to know. That there's lots more story going on in the white in the white council. Mm -hmm. uh, well, and even to find things out, it's it's some of the interesting details with the white council where we find out that they don't spend any time in South America. Like that's one of the things Martin is yeah. really upset about. He is ticked. Yeah, like you which wouldn't was, know what's going on there. None of the white council ever shows up. Which oh, is interesting. Okay, that's and unfortunate. I I love. Let's talk about a little bit of world building in the white council. Okay. Well, and, and the red court. I love that. The Red Court operates like the cartels that we keep yes. hearing about in real life. I, I'm really like, impressed with Jim Butcher being able to take that and say it's like the cartels. And then he kind of just leaves it there and makes all of us who maybe are thinking along those lines of, oh, maybe the cartels are a little more connected with the vampires than sure. we've been thinking. Well, even to the point where he's trying to explain it, he and Murphy are trying to explain the situation to FBI agent to Tilly. Tilly. Yeah. And he says, okay, this all sounds crazy. If I had said that this was all because of terrorists, you wouldn't bat an eye. And, and, uh, and, and so then yeah. later, you know, Rudolph shows up and he's like, what's going on? And Murphy and he both just look at him and say, terrorists. terrorists. 
because <laughs> that's that's what people can understand. That's the world that we understand that we live in. But it's it's brilliant that he ties in yes the fantastical world of vampires to a real life application. Absolutely. Yep. Look, these things that are happening in real life. This is why. This is the supernatural and, reason why. It was brilliant. And to connect it as this is why it has always been thus uh -huh. in this part of the world. Fascinating stuff. Yeah, right. I thought that was great. Uh, you said we had some questions. Well, we do. Uh, we can go back to them in a minute because we're still on White Council stuff okay. for a okay. second. But okay. I, now I have questions, though, since we're talking about the White Council because all of this political machination stuff really is interesting to me. Uh, Christos, is he stupid or liar? Is he e stupid or evil? I should say. I love that quote at the uh, end of the book. In fact, I looked at my wife and I, I when I when I finished reading the book, uh, I I finished it at the house, uh, and I, not reading it, listening to it. Thank you all for allowing me to call reading and listening the same thing in these days. It's fine. Um, but I finished it at the house, and then I went on a walk with my wife, and I and I and I giggled, and she said, "What's so funny?" And I said, "Well, sure hope it's." Uh, or I, I said, "I said stupid and evil," and she looks at me, and she and I said. Yeah, this moment when when Harry looks at at McCoy and says, "Is Christos stupid or evil, and which is worse, stupid? Stupid's yeah. worse. Oh yeah. yeah, there's only so many black-hearted villains in this world, and they only get uppity once in a while. But stupid is everywhere, every day. Yep, he's absolutely <laughs> and, and right. And I told her that, and she goes, huh, "Yeah, it is, isn't it?" And yeah, I, I I just, I mean, I I was I was reminded of the scene in, and I don't know if I don't know if Jim Butcher was trying to pay homage to Kevin Klein's uh, moment in the Young Emperor's Club when. Uh, Kevin Klein gives that that beautiful quote that says, you know, drunkenness can be sobered, uh, immaturity can be uh, can be uh, raised or made mature, but stupid is forever. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm giving myself goosebumps on that one. It was just it's one of for me, it's a pivotal moment of my career, of my life. Mm -hmm. um, and the way that it was delivered was a reminder. You know what? Yeah. Willful stupidity. An, an unwillingness to grow up and start being responsible and be aware that your actions influence and impact other human beings, that is the most dangerous situation that a human being can be in, especially if that human being has semi-phenomenal, nearly cosmic power. Well, and you yeah. talk about this and, and you're talking about, you know, this stupid person wanting to take on power and playing the politics game. And I'm thinking about Rudolph and what he's doing to Murphy at the same time, where this is both happening at the same time. And so it's just a different kind of persecution, but but the same kind of stupid. Just yeah. Makes me so mad. Like Harry and oh, Murphy save Rudolph from the vampires and he's still going Rudolph after Murphy. saved twice yep. in this book alone. Yep. Yeah. First at his house, they could have let, they could have left the, left him there and let the ick take him. Yep. But no, Harry and Thomas take on the ick. They save Rudolph, who should not have been saved. Nope. Butthead should have had his... Anyway. Um, and then they <laughs> save him at the FBI building again. I mean, Tilly. Yeah. Tilly gets exposed to this whole world, and Tilly kind of stands up and says, hey, make sure you go into a, into a conference room with windows. Yeah. Open the windows. and, and Take Rudolph down is, the blinds. Rudolph is sitting there going, hamla, 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 hamla. <laughs> and and the, as they drag him along, I'm like, just leave him there. And I just, I just wanted so much there. at the end. Like I, I, I'm hoping that something will change and Murphy won't get fired after all. She will. She will. She but will. I, Karen I Murphy, just. private eye. She yeah. has to be fired in uh -huh. order to pick up Fidelakius. I know, right? I don't think she's going to. I think she is. No. I'm still holding on to that one. Okay. I'm still holding on to that one. I'm thinking that she's going to say, you know what, half pension and Sonya as a, as kind of a mentor for a little while. Okay, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, yep. I can see that one. Happening. Well, especially since if you've read Aftermath, you know that she's planning on going vigilante anyway. Right. So I haven't read that yet. But uh, yeah, now you know. But you I should read know. it. We told you to read it. I know you did, but I haven't had time. For those of you who don't know why I keep saying I haven't had time, it's not just here. I do have a lot going on in my life. Yeah. Uh, it's it, and 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 this is this is one of the most important things in my world, but. There's only so many hours in a day. And Aftermath <laughs> is one of the longer short stories. Yeah. yeah. Which is Todd's fair. a scholar, folks. I uh, I will be one day, maybe, if all things go well. I'm in I'm in my second semester of my doctoral work. We're proud so, of you. Thank you. Um it's uh it's a lot bigger than I thought it was gonna be. Yeah. Yep. All right. So before we get off onto the other on to our other tangents, is is Christos deliberately 
undermining the council. Yes, but I don't think he's doing it for evil. But is he doing it for his his own pride, vanity? I think it's because he's an idiot. I think it's because he wants to be the Merlin. Yeah. It's all about pride, vanity, and it's ego. It's all about ambition, not yeah. about... Yeah. Because right. so it, it shouldn't have gone to him in the first I place. I agree. I think he was a puppet. I think He's that, the cat's paw that the Black Council has been using. The Black Council? Yeah. Really? I'm still going with the Black think Council. So? I think the Black Council... Oh, I, we did, I did say he. I thought he was on Black... He was Black Council, too. I was thinking Black Court for some uh, reason. Nope, like not Black Court. Black Council. No, I think, I think so, too. But I, I don't think he's smart enough to actually be... A, a power player in the oh, black yeah, council no. i think he's a, i think he's a, he's a, a pawn yeah he's a pawn and i think that the black council is using him to do all kinds of crap so that they can do the real stuff they want to do someplace else i think he was used by the black council i think he was used by the red court because he's a, he's a patsy who has his own ambitions and wants to be popular megan is looking at the two of us like we have come from a different planet i i feel like i don't have enough information about him yet i would like to know more things before i say anything about it i suppose so i just i've been conditioned to not like him i oh so i'm not I'm, saying i like him i just don't know enough about it yet i i yeah I can buy that. I, I could, everything i said could be wrong which you know 60 percent of the time well, we so often are yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah especially with the jim the jim butcher writes all right it's like Whoop. man that guy let's let's go let's go back to maggie for a minute then for a oh. couple of questions of course go ahead maggie that's such i'm a so happy that they name that susan name uh, I, first of all, I think it's kind of weird that she, you know, she intended, since she wasn't intending to keep Maggie, that she gave her a name. But, you know, where she could have so easily had somebody else adopt her and just let the whole thing go. But instead, Susan wanted to still have that connection. So she gave, gave you know, her, she yeah. named, she gave, gave Maggie her. a name. She named her after Harry's mother. And then, which, again, heartbreaking that she did not tell Harry about it. Yeah. Like, he should have been a part of that. Um but she she has she had a family taking care of Maggie, who she trusted at where she could go and see her child every once in a while. I don't know. I I buy her reasoning personally. I I realize why Harry is upset, but to me it makes sense. And a lot of a lot of reading this book comes from an outsider's perspective. I guess I just don't have very much empathy sometimes, but Every time Harry gets upset or righteously indignant that he was never consulted or never told or this was hidden from me, I keep thinking, yeah, and you know the reasons. Stop being a baby. Well, he knows yeah. the reasons, but he he could have been in Maggie's life the same way that Susan was, where it wasn't she is with me and I'm raising her. It could have just been, you know, I see her a couple of times a year. She knows who I am. I can love this because Susan, Susan was she and Harry were almost engaged. They loved yeah. each other. Susan knows how much it would mean to Harry to have a child. And so to keep that from him, I, I can see both sides, but I just think that's really mean. Um, mean and selfish. I, I, there's there's the key, I think, is that it was it was selfish. How do you... Uh, the, the, the piece for me that, that was difficult to justify, uh, part of my head went, well, of course she wouldn't tell Harry that he had a daughter because how is he going to visit her? Yeah. There are only so many ways that he can travel and all yeah. of them are difficult and dangerous or very, very slow and very, very slow for a wizard means bad. And yeah. if he's going to yeah. take a boat going across water that kind of pretty much negates all of his sorcery, makes him a sitting duck for that period of time when he would have been. So all I, I can see Susan running through these thoughts in her head. This would, this would kill him to know that he has a daughter and cannot talk to her because telephones don't, long distance service, cell phones, blah, blah, blah. I mean, put all of these pieces in place and let Susan Fine, say- Fine, you're making sense. I, I, <laughs> all of this makes sense as to why she didn't tell Harry. But the fact that she then keeps her close enough so that she can go visit her whenever she wants, yeah. as if she's not going to be also someone that could be manipulated because of this child. And, oh, yeah- that's exactly what happened. Yeah, exactly. Is it is a major moment of selfishness. One of the things that I think is really fascinating about the difference between Harry and Susan is that Harry has stepped into this world and been in this world of of monsters uh, for for long enough, and he's accepted the fact that he's fully in it, mm -hmm. and yeah. that nothing in his world that isn't fully in it can be fully in his life. Mm -hmm. Susan has not. She still wants to 
at least to me, it feels like she still wants to say, I'm not really involved. I'm on the sidelines and I'm fighting the I'm fighting the fringes of this war. And she's never really accepted the fact that, no, you are right in the middle of this conflict of awful monsters from the netherworld. And you have and, and you have to recognize that anything, anything that is a distraction from that can be problematic in major ways. Yeah. And so I feel like I feel like Susan's selfishness, I feel like it's appropriate for Harry to berate her a little bit. Hey, if you're going to accept the risk, we both should have accepted the risk. Right. If neither of if you can't, if I can't, then maybe neither of us should because it wasn't Harry's fault that the child got abducted. And yet yeah. she immediately brings him into it. Immediately. Like right. that's that's not I you know, first thing she does, I imagine. We don't really know. But first thing she does is call him up and say, hey, our daughter's been kidnapped. And he's just like, I'm sorry, what? I know we don't have time to really go into this, but what? <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, if he hadn't been brought into it, she probably ends up dead. And then Harry probably ends up dead. Now, I get that. I, I understand. So. From Again, we, we've, been, we've been talking about this a lot as a family. We're going, yeah. Go ahead. Give me, go well, ahead. and we can speculate coulda, shoulda, wouldas forever but all we know is what actually happened yeah. yep well and let's be fair it happens that way because jim butcher wrote it that way i was gonna say also <laughs> it's a story that a person wrote we, we really have got but but isn't it fascinating we love it so much that we have been engaged with these characters and with this story so much that it does feel somewhat real yeah. and the plight of these characters feel somewhat real i feel that that's a testament to jim butcher's writing i, think I, so too. I love it here's a couple of questions uh while we're still hovering around here Apologies if I butchered this uh, name on the Reddit. Tiburon de la Frambra, I think. Tiburon de la Alframbra. Hello. Hey, Tib. Tib. We'll go with Tib. Would Susan have chosen the same fate for herself that Harry chose if it meant the same outcome? Also knowing Harry, he's never going to forgive himself for killing Susan. Every failure has eaten away at him. How will he, how will he reconcile himself with this? Todd's already crying. <laughs> you had to bring up that moment, right? I'm sorry. It's too soon. Too soon. We're not there in the conversation. Well, we're still, we're talking about Mar Maggie and Harry and Susan. And That's true. Susan. Like That's this is the spot. True. So. Okay. Uh, I, I, I think you could, I think you could make a case that she can't do it alone, but she can with Harry's help. Yeah. Harry's the strength in Susan's life. Susan seems like she, I, I, I'm, I'm not I'm not saying anything sexist about this at all. I'm just saying based on the way that the character has been written, Susan is strong in certain ways. But when it comes to certain kinds of choices, she needs someone else to be strong for her and it, help her make that choice. Yeah, When it comes to the big choices in her life, there have been two people that we've seen that have been those kinds of people for her. Martin, the jerk. <laughs> and, and we'll get to him. And Harry, <laughs> the jerk. Um, <laughs> that and, one's indisputable. And she, and, and she relies on them to help her through that. I do not say that as an indictment because I look at my own life and I consider all of the moments where I have had to do extremely difficult things and I have relied upon others to help me at times. The, the, the love that Harry felt for Maggie, having never met her. But being able to empathize with her plight as a child with no family and a child alone in the den of monsters. The love that he felt for her gave him the strength to say, fine, I will do one of the most horrific things that I can think of twice so that I can save my daughter. It's not about saving himself. It's about saving his daughter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When Susan realizes what has happened and when Harry helps her realize what is set up, she also says, fine, but I need help. And I think that's a very human thing. I think so too. Susan has a history of not necessarily understanding the consequences of charging ahead and just doing what she thinks is the right thing for I'm I'm purposely I'm thinking of when she was first uh bitten what trans transition yes, yeah. transformed into yes. a vampire where 
infected. she decided to go to this party that she was not invited to and oh, she I insisted an on going <laughs> yeah she insisted on going and harry tried so hard without telling her exactly why she shouldn't go um but he tried so hard to keep her from going and she insisted on going she had she's she's been in many situations where she hasn't necessarily understood the consequences but she knows that harry does and so for her to trust him in that way I just yeah. really thought that was really beautiful and I really appreciate it because she realized that this was something that she could do for her child to save her child. And it's just so sad because it's literally the one thing she hoped never ha to have to do, turn into a vampire or something she's been fighting against this whole time. And yeah, yeah, in becoming a vampire, she also became the means for ending the monsters that have been torturing Maggie this whole time. Yes. Yeah. And creating a massive power vacuum that we'll talk about later. But oh, but I seriously, I, I was just so surprised that like, I just, I saw all of it and I'm reading it and I'm like, this is written so well where I didn't see this coming and yet it feels so inevitable and so perfect and so right. And I read those last four lines, you know, the four lines and I was just like, yes, that is amazing. I'm going to put this down and cry for about an hour now. Do you have the four lines? Do you have them? Uh, no, but I can oh. find them. I was just wondering. Well, while she's I, looking for those, um, I wrote this down, and I I realize this is going to sound awfully cold and callous, and I'm not sure I care. <laughs> wow, <laughs> way to lead in, Ken. <laughs> right, but it's a great warm up on the on the subject of love, and especially on conditional unconditional love. Is the really is there really, really something so noble about going to any length, no matter what, no matter how extreme to save a loved one? And I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that sounding like I would let, you know, one of my children drown just so I didn't or something like that or something awful. I realize how awful that sounds. Oh, my gosh, you wouldn't do anything. Of course, I'd do anything for my kids. But when it comes down to. I've got to save this girl I've never met or let a million wizards die. So or something like or your eight best friends who came with you. So is there really something so noble about going to any length for I mean, I get it. But or is I, there really something sick about a human being that sits and says, gee, if it were this situation, I wonder what I would because I have already done that kind of. Math. Yeah, that's I have had that kind I'm of saying. conversation. And I have looked at my wife and said, if somebody strapped a bomb to you and said, either you do these horrible things or I let your wife die, I have said, based on the knowledge that we have of our relationship and of the nature of our relationship, I hope you would be okay that I would let them kill you. <laughs> because I will not be I, I will not be blackmailed into doing horrible, horrible things. Right. Yeah. That, that To people you don't know just because you don't know them. This is, yeah, this is I've, what I'm saying. I've had those kinds of conversations. I will. I'm not sure that that makes me a sane human being. And maybe people are going to start, you know, calling 911 now and say this man needs to be removed. I'm sure you're not the only one who has thought this but, way. <laughs> well, well probably not among our listeners. And, yeah. not, uh, <laughs> and not, among, not in this room. I mean. Well, uh, and certainly not in the world of the literature because that keeps coming up. Yeah. yeah. But here's, <laughs> but here's my point. I would do. Honestly, I would do some awful things yeah, to to save my wife. Okay. I would too. But if it comes down to like you said, for example, we have your wife strapped to a bomb and we will set it off unless you blow up this building yeah. with thousands of people, hundreds of people in it or whatever, or unless you go out and you besmirch all these people starting a riot or something unless you do this thing that is awful. We will, I, for yeah. me, it's the Kobayashi Maru. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Nicely and, done. Nice. It's no win situation for yeah. anybody who does not watch Star Trek. But the, the thing is, and I think, I think that between my wife and I, we have the same kind of understanding a little yeah. bit in the sense that we have a perspective among us that we, this isn't the end for us. Yeah. You know? There's so I don't yeah, know if that in, in both situations, but. though, there is going to be a certain amount. Like, like I said, it's a no win situation where whichever you choose or I choose, there's always going to be some kind of regret. And there's always going to be second guessing and saying, could I have done something more? Could I have done something different? Was there a way out of that? Yeah. Um, and we know with Harry, he is always going to have that in the back of his mind where he did the thing that ended up to, ended up being the best for Millions and millions of people, which he did not expect that to be the case when right. he went into that situation. 
Um, but he is still going to beat him. Like the, even though he destroyed this horrible superpower, he is going to beat himself up about Susan's death for yeah. probably his whole life. Isn't it fascinating that exactly what what McCoy told him mm-hmm. that he needed to remember is what winds up being remembered at the end. One life is not worth millions. And if sacrificing one life can save millions, yeah. maybe that's the best course of action. But yeah. how different is it when it is leave it alone and let that life be sacrificed versus you've got to be the one to do it? Yes. Yeah. Horrible, horrible situation. Yeah. And I sincerely hope I sincerely hope I mean let's be honest we live in a world where that the possibility that that's going to happen for most of us is pretty remote yeah mm-hmm. uh, yeah I'm grateful that I'm not going to have to make a choice like that uh, very, and I'm not I'm, I'm not the, the likelihood of that happening is, is if, fairly fairly infinitesimal if, 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 you're it, listening if it to happens this, I apologize I was wrong and if you're listening to this podcast probably the situation is about the same for you yeah it's probably right? pretty infinitesimal so um, I am a normal person and I like it but but I but <laughs> I, I like think, it. But too. I think it's I think that that question, part of the reason that that question resonates so well with us, is that it is part of the human condition to love, and to sacrifice for people whom we love, and that then becomes great fodder for great storytelling. Yep. Yep. And I, I, I one of the most heartbreaking pieces of this story for me is that Harry does all of this for his daughter and in the end tells Father Forthill to take his child and put her somewhere safe Harry no, like probably expecting never to see her again Here, here's a question from the Lopen I love it. <laughs> oh, the Lopen did I Harry seen you in so long I know <laughs> did the Harry did the Harry <laughs> did Harry make the right choice for Maggie probably so the Lopin says, I want to scream every time I read the book, but if he had chosen to be a real father, then she would have been there on the boat with him. Losing four parents to adopted back to back would have been crushing. If he hadn't died, would, he, uh, would being the winter night have made him into a monster? Also the obvious question who killed Harry Dresden, but, but did he make the, I think he made the right call. I mean, I think he knows he made the right call. Maybe he you know. made the selfless call. He made the selfless call. And honestly, he, it in from a storytelling from a story reading perspective i think he made the right call because honestly i i don't want to hear the adventures of harry dresden dad wizard yeah <laughs> you know i i was already kind of nervous when he took a padawan now i can't think of maggie or, what uh, yeah when when he took an apprentice, I, I was I was a little concerned in the direction that would go, and it turned out amazing. It, yeah, it turns. It's but it's taking fantastic. you know taking a eighteen year old to be your apprentice and taking a seven year old to be your child is a totally different story. Yeah, telling. and I I just I'm I'm glad from a storytelling perspective that that's the choice he made, and yeah. I think he made the right choice for the same reason, by the way, that Susan made the choice because it saves it, it protects her from all of this by ignorance. Yeah. So he saved her, but he's never going to get of age. Yeah. Maybe, maybe she has, until she comes of age. Maybe she has some wizardly aptitude later. I kind of hope not though. I hope she doesn't really know anything about it. And she comes into it and is like, what? I'm willing to bet in the same way that we said, "Eh, Susan's coming back. Think Harry's going to have a kid. I'm saying we said that. Okay. Ken said that all the time. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I said I said maybe, but Ken said it all the time. Remember that time that I said that Harry's. Remember that time that Ken was right. That one time. That That one one time, time. (laughs) like nine books ago. (laughs) Yeah, that one like nine books ago. I mean, so eventually it paid itself off. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm willing to bet that that we've not seen the last of Maggie. Oh yeah, and that perhaps perhaps Harry's gonna show up in her life. And need to be what need to be for her, what McCoy was for him, which means a a, a a mentor figure, but also one that does not reveal himself and their true relationship. Oh, okay. What if maybe this pays off nine books from now? Who knows? <laughs> what if 
Molly becomes the tutor for Maggie. It's possible. But, but again, think- if they if they send Molly to South America, right now the White Council isn't there at all. So yeah. we'd have to rely on the network. Well, who knows where Maggie's going? I mean, it's true. Harry doesn't know. We don't know. Yeah, we yeah, don't know Harry anything. Harry know doesn't anything know because Harry is sleeping with the fishes. True. Okay. I uh, well. let's so while we're on decisions, <laughs> while we're on decisions that Harry has made. Oh boy. Uh, how about that one to become the Winter Knight? Oh yeah, that happened. That that's a kind of a thing that happened. Um, did he make the right choice? I really, I mean, oh, right well, here's, wrong. here's, here's the question that, that he mentions and I wrote down and Pino Graham mentioned on Reddit or on discord, but it really is, it really is the question. It's the, the best of three bad options, isn't it? Becoming the winter night or taking up the Denarian coin or going yeah. to who was, what was the other one? What were the three? He mentioned three of them, but... I don't remember. He mentions three, and yes, you're right, all three of them The were, third one was equally terrible. Yeah, they all were all terrible. Well, it was worse terrible. And, and... Worser. Honestly, probably becoming the Winter Knight was the best of the three. Well... Becoming a Nickelhead was not... That was a non-starter. That would not have ended well. Well, but becoming the Winter Knight, I mean, let's let's be honest. One of the things that Mab, sa- that Mab says at one point is, you give yourself to me. You will kill who I tell you to kill. Yep. Yeah. And let's be clear. That's the Winter Knight's job is to be the executioner on behalf of the Queen of Night and Darkness. Right. And yes, there are probably some really bad supernatural characters that probably deserve it along the way. And knowing Fairy the way that we do, knowing the she... There were probably mortals that she would say, nah, just kill that one because I'm bored. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. That's true. And so when when I when I look at that, by the way, I I have tried very hard. I, I appreciate the question was, did Harry make the right choice? I wanted I want to share something that maybe that doesn't have anything to do with this podcast, nobody else cares. So fast forward 30 seconds or 45 seconds, maybe a minute and a half because I talk long. Or listen um, if you're a Todd fan, which or, I am. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was sweet. Oh, look um, at that. I'm feeling mushy now. About Aww. about 15 to 17 years ago, I made a concerted effort to stop using the words right and wrong as they apply to most choices. Hmm. And I started trying to use the words wise and unwise. Hmm. And in this particular situation, I can think of no choice that was either wise or unwise. They were all morally ambiguous. Yes. And you had to you had to you had to stake yourself on the claim on one side or the other. Is it worth it to save my child or not? And from that standpoint, I totally get it. I sobbed like a baby. I cried and cried when when he said, I've decided what I'm going to do. I'm like, oh no, yeah. this isn't. And, and the more I thought, no, this is not a good idea, the more I found myself going, and it's the only idea open. And I totally understand it. And I'm not sure I wouldn't do exactly the same thing. Yep. For my, yeah. for my spouse, she and I could look at each other and I could say, Sweetheart, I, we know. And she might say, we know. But my child, yeah. my children, a totally different thing. And whoever had money on this one is the <laughs> second time that I was going to cry. Congratulations. You just won the Cupid doll. Todd likes his kids. <laughs> For the record, I cried twice during this book. And it, I felt like it was earned both times. Yes, it was. It was. Mostly, I, I'm a person, I cry when I'm extra happy. When I'm extra, I, it's like if I have an excess of emotions, it comes out my eyeballs. Yeah. And yeah. for for this book, and Ken mentioned both of those. I'm sorry, I'm I'm going on a tangent. You're Dude, welcome, everybody. What? That's never happened before. <laughs> it's my first tangent. Um, Ken mentioned both of these in his recap, where the first one was where uh, Harry's house is burning down. He has saved his one neighbor. He is trying to save the other two. He is so stressed because it is his fault that the house is burning down. And he falls off the ladder and breaks his back. And I'm sitting there and I am so stressed reading this part. And I, I've reread it a second time and I was just as stressed. And when Sonia shows up and jumps up the ladder and Harry says, Sonia, two. And he says, da, two. I bawled <laughs> because hallelujah, help was there exactly when he needed it. And the second time I bawled was in the battle at Chichen Itza 
when the gray court showed up and black Shaft oh, McCoy and I again because I was so stressed because I had no idea how they were going to get out of the situation and not even out just through the situation like how he was going to get to Maggie at that point and the yeah. great council showed up and I bawled and how about that and kind of like Uriel said the help showing up at the moment he almost divine help I mean mm-hmm. because well here's Sonya a bona fide knight he's a bona fide knight right of, the of, the of yeah. God you know showing up and Vaterung, who, you know, secret, no secret, is a Norse god. Yeah. Father he's Odin, Odin, isn't he? Father yeah. Odin. Yeah. Father Odin. He So he shows up with the, he's riding with the Grey Council. That is insane. Right? So, I mean, that's better than having a Valkyrie on your staff, in my opinion. But, oh, I don't know. I think they go hand in hand. Well, they do. <laughs> the one is, you know, a subordinate to the other. And he's got the boss I on mean, his team. Yeah. We all put this together, right? We... As soon as he, as soon as they say, well, if you can afford my boss, yeah. you know, if you can, we all, we all knew immediately you know who, that it was going to be Odin. It, right? had, yeah. it okay. had to be. Okay. I mean, who's the boss of the Valkyries? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So. And, and which do we only know she's a Valkyrie because we read that story inside jobs? She's mentioned it several times. Okay. Yeah. There's been a, there's been a couple remember. of times. There's well, been a couple of times. remember in small favor, she comes over the hill in that chopper playing right of the Valkyries. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, I forget the details. Awesome. So and 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 he, yeah, anyway, we, we But again, like when Harry most needed help, it was there. And it's partly because he has helped so many people and he has started to trust people and let people in. And it was that moment like again, as we were saying, McCoy was like, it's just a kid, like is it really that and so when when Harry finally says, "Well, it's my daughter." McCoy it's goes, "My kid." Oh. Yeah. Well, yeah, go to it. Yeah, you go need get to save her. that child. Absolutely. Yeah. And so. it wasn't, like, it was partly selfish where McCoy was involved, but also I don't he think understood McCoy, it was Harry. I mean, he, I think it's partly selfish from the He might have thought of that secondly and been like, oh yeah, remember how she's my great granddaughter and it would kill me too. <laughs> well, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a level of, because at the time, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember, did they know at the time that the, that it was going to be the founding of a death curse? It was going to track the family line? I can't remember. Not, Is Odin the one that told, Vatarang told, the one that told him about that? I can't remember. I finished this book three weeks ago. Some of the details elude me. Yeah, I, I finished the work, I finished the book three days ago, and some of the details okay, are still eluding me. I don't I remember better. who told him it was a death curse, but when he went to Scotland, he did not know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's a there's a really fascinating and and this is a this is a juxtaposition that flows throughout most of these books at some point is the idea of you do it you you do what is going to be best for you or you do what's going to be best for everyone. Right. And most of the time, in Harry's case, it never lines up. It really doesn't. It's always no. what's best for everybody else, and it just so happens that Harry gets out of it. This is yeah. one of the few times where what was really best for Harry was also best for everybody else. Yep. Isn't it interesting that the one time that that happens, he dies? <sighs> Yeah. I keep I keep wanting I, I just I want to make sure no, you no, all we, know we haven't, we've already we, said the spoiler. We barely So I just yeah. keep talking about that one. <laughs> we but we barely touched on the whole winter night thing. Um Let's go back to first winter of night, all, then. I, I love the conversation that uh Harry and Sonya have with Toot Toot where <laughs> Toot oh Toot's like, Oh yeah, the oh map made gosh. sure that all of us saw that initiation ceremony and Harry <laughs> was, was like reflected that. in every drop of water and every pool and every <laughs> So everybody knows so everybody, everybody in Fairy Got a real quick porno flick. <laughs> right. And at the same time, like, you know, Sonia's like, oh, wait, you're the winner tonight. And everybody, like, Harry's kind of like, we'll talk about it later. That's not important right now. My, my favorite part of this book was Sonia talking about Harry tapping that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, I laughed. <laughs> and then I read you it again later. And I laughed again. It was so funny. You hit that. You hit that. I remember, she was attractive. <laughs> um, Sonia, oh my stop. gosh Sonia is he is the best I mean he I liked him from the moment that he showed up with with Shiro but he just every time he shows up now I'm just like yeah this is gonna be good the the yeah the Knights of the Cross are just so cool so uh, but we were talking about sorry we were talking about the winter night which also are you done yeah I'm sorry basically yes uh, there was another question that Aridandis brought up a few weeks ago so this was just i pulled this from like random but about the uh 
I'm trying to think of how to say it. Let me just find it here so we can so we can actually read it. But uh, we know Jim is big on free will and choice as a theme in the series. One of yes. the big choices made in changes is Dresden becoming the Winter Knight. Reading it this time, he read it again. I was really struck by how Butcher seems to have set it up so that all the other people around Dresden are to one degree or another enabling Dresden or foreshadowing Dresden's eventual decision. Yes. Which I thought was interesting. And he brings up... He brings up uh, a bunch of examples. Arthur Langtree says that they never knew it was coming. We'll no longer wage a war with that filth. We're going to destroy them all. This is kind of a foreshadow of Mm -hmm. you're going to be the arm to do it. How about when Uriel shows up and says, love your kids? You know, well, okay, you know, this is this is what I've got to do in order to. Yeah. Well, you even have a moment where. Murphy sees Harry for the first time since his uh, office building is blown up. She says, oh, my gosh, Harry, I thought you'd been you'd been killed. And I was just like, oh, no, Murphy's not going to handle this well. When yeah. once she gets to the end and he is. And then you read an aftermath. Aftermath is for those of you who haven't read it. It's Murphy's response to finding out because she's the she's the she is obviously the one who would be the first to find him because she was going to be at Harry's place in an hour. Yeah, I need to read that. I yeah. haven't read that yet. Dude, yeah. it's, it's you. worth it. I was kind of annoyed by it at the beginning because it's a procedural case, but it it turned out to be really wonderful okay. for helping me to unpack my feelings about the end of Changes. So I I want to talk about one other thing, and we, I, we, we talked about it before we started the recording, and that is that Harry's first, uh, first task as the Winter Knight begins with a task of evil by killing Slade. I almost feel like oh. it's a task of mercy Ooh. from what Slate has been through yeah. for I'm, how long. Should we have a proper debate? You go for one minute and I'll time it. And <laughs> no, we'll not do that. <laughs> That's not how we roll. Uh, if, if it was, I'd tie everything back to nuclear proliferation because nuclear prolif is bad. Um, although you, you aren't wrong because the reason, and maybe it's justified evil because the reason he does it is not to release Lloyd Slate from this hell that he's been through for years, literal years. And it's not because he relishes in the idea of killing another person. It's because this is the only way he can save his daughter. Yeah. This is, this is a, a, again, a really interesting, uh, a really interesting juxtaposition of good and bad actions that we would say are reprehensible in any other situation. Oh yeah. In this particular Mm -hmm. situation we say, yeah, okay, uh, I get it. I get it. It's necessary. It is a necessary step in order to make sure that the the real good that we're looking for can be done. Um, it, it's also a necessary step to do a kindness. Um, I think that when they when they when he talks about uh, looking at Lloyd, was that his first name? Lloyd. Lloyd yeah. Slate, yeah. yeah. Um, that rolls over and looks at him and can't even form words, but he just he sees his face and he recognizes that he's almost that he's pleading. Mm-hmm. You know, let this be the end. Let this be the end, and then. Mab makes some comment. Oh, that the the Lord of Light let his son suffer for three days. That the Romans yeah. were the Romans were amateurs at suffering. Yeah, I yeah. was like, okay, that was about the coldest thing that I think I have ever heard in my life. Yep. It was very uncomfortable for me. But to think then about the the kind of suffering that she has set up for this character, and Harry seeing himself as led as as that being a mercy. Um, what a, what an interesting way to set up the beginning of what will surely be, or what would surely have been a very, very problematic reign. And it's, it's terrifying for Harry to look at this and realize that it's only through death that he's going to be released as the winter night. And he's looking at Slade and he's like, so is somebody going to do this for me someday? Is this going to be me at some point? Um, <laughs> anyway, sorry. Todd's grinning. Todd's grinning. <laughs> Todd's wow. Really big grin. smiling real big. Somebody's really excited about Harry's death over here. <laughs> He's I just think dead. It's so, I think it's just, I, that's, that's the one thing sorry. that I'm, we haven't, we're still haven't talked about it yet. The end of this book, but that's, that's the one thing where I'm just like, oh, Mab was totally cheated out of him again. Harry cheating faith, cheating the fairies. They sure hate that. Right. I'm kind of nervous for him. Die mm-hmm. alone. Die alone. I'm sorry, Ken, you were going to talk about it being a mercy. I don't remember what it was. Oh, well, I, I should have say. Yes, I, 
I don't think that mercy was the overriding reason that he did it, though, because no, he went through all these things about how it's evil and about how it would be merciful and how it would be this. And the the one thing that finally made him draw that knife was this is the way to my daughter. Yeah, it was an act of will. It was not it, it was not an act of contrition. It was nope. not an involuntary accident. It was not a happenstance. It was an act of will. Yep. It was a choice. I applaud the fact that so much of Butcher's writing is about examine the choice, examine, you know, look at the cost and then pay it. Yeah. And just acknowledge the fact that you pay it. Um, it's reminiscent of some other things that we're reading, right? That uh, some of us are reading right now as well as we're working through some other books. Mm -hmm. um, but it is a it is a, a powerful theme in Butcher's writing. And I think it's a powerful theme in all of fiction. It's a choice. Examine the cost and pay it. Yeah. When we yeah. do that for ourselves, when we do that, that's maybe the, maybe that's the, you know, maybe that's the, you know, the, the second big level three thing that, that I think really comes out of these books is stop running around and saying you're forced into stuff. Mm -hmm. Make a choice, examine the cost, pay it and own it. Well, and even if you realize later that you could have made another choice that might've been quote unquote better it was the best choice you could make at the time. Yeah. So you have to believe that it was the right choice. You, you, yeah. one, of, one of the critical Otherwise acts, you'll go crazy. One <laughs> of the critical pieces of acting, of, of being an actor. Um, and I'm not talking about an actor on the stage. I'm talking about being an actor in life as opposed to a reactor. Is that you have to accept the fact that you do the best you can with the information you have in the moment. Mm -hmm. Right. And then move forward and stop overanalyzing the past. Um, acknowledge where you're at, acknowledge that it's going to be, that it will always be imperfect, right? Yeah. When you get and new information, then, then, you know, make a change and do it differently the next time. But yeah. don't Boy, worry about that, what you did the last time, because if you're always doing your best, then that's such a great lesson you can that I live with yourself. People should learn these days. I, and that's all I'll say about that. Yep. I wish we all were better at it. I wish that, and I think that literature, part of the reason that we are not better at it as a, as a species is that we have moved away from stories as a way of helping us figure out how to live better and have moved into stories primarily as a method of entertainment or distraction. Isn't that interesting? I, I had a lady ask me once why I like to do theater. Um, because it was so incomprehensible to her to want to pretend to be somebody else. And for me, it's an exercise in empathy. And I, yeah. I, I just keep reading articles that talk about how kids who read, um, well, the last article I read, it was specifically Harry Potter, but kids who read fiction learn to put themselves in other people's shoes yeah. and learn about a situation that they probably will not ever have to face themselves, but they can somehow apply that to their lives later sure. and will just help them to be a little bit better people, I would hope, or at least a little bit more empathetic and a little bit more kind. Yeah. Um, and realize that the world doesn't revolve around them. Sometimes it is about you guys, but it's not always about you. But yeah, that's, and it's that's usually rare. not. Yeah. It's, it's rare that it is about in you. these books. It is usually about Harry. So, but I think that's only because Harry's the narrator. Uh huh. And so it makes perfect sense that your life would be about you. It's true. Um, that was a funny moment, by the way, where he actually realized that he was narrating <laughs> out loud to Mouse. <laughs> oh, but then there's another moment where he, oh my gosh, I wrote this down. And I'm like, is this indicative of Harry a little bit going crazy? Because we talk about this being um, like Harry going towards being evil, possibly. Yeah. Um, Are we going to get evil Harry? Later? Which he talks about all the time. Oh, I wrote it down as Harry's been on a downward spiral morally and ethically for a while. Uh, even Bob makes a comment about it. Oh, no. Where is it? Oh, um, <laughs> I my comment, because, you know, I like to take notes. I said, this is not just Harry commentating in his head. This is him writing and talking to someone. Who was he talking to? Because he, he makes a comment at one point when he says, men here, that's a large upright standing stone to those of you without a pressing need to find out what a men here is. If he's just thinking all of this in his head and narrating in his head, why would he say that? Yeah. I don't know. And that may just be like the writing style, but still I read that and I was like, that's weird. Wouldn't it be interesting if Harry has been, I, I'm throwing this out. I don't know if we're ever going to get to it. Some people already may say, well, duh, duh. Um, and other people may be saying, hmm, that's kind of interesting. Wouldn't it be interesting if we find out later 
And the last book, wherever that's going to be, whether that's going to be this one that's coming up later on this year, or if Jim Butcher is going to find a way to write, continue writing this for like, you know, decades. Um, but wouldn't it be interesting if we find out in the last book that what we are reading are Harry's journals being read by his daughter the, oh. when she oh. finally inherits them? I, I hadn't thought that specifically, Holy but cow. I, I did kind of, when I read that, I kind of started wondering, I wonder if these, these are his memoirs somehow. I kind of like the idea that he is narrating all of this to Bob and that Bob will be telling this story to somebody at some point. It's possible. Well, that would I, be interesting. I, the, the only reason that I, that I've been thinking about that the last little while mm -hmm. is because of the moment that he had where he saw Ebenezer's journals. Oh yeah. And oh, that right. they get handed yes. down and they get handed down. And you remember Ebenezer said, well, you know, the, the, those, those older, those oldest ones were written by the Merlin himself. Mm -hmm. um, what a fascinating piece. Do we want to move, where are we well, at? I was going to say, do we want to talk about Harry on the boat or do we want to save that as a cliffhanger for the next episode? Because we're over an hour already. Oh, well, you know what? We should wait. Jim Butcher didn't write changes with a cliffhanger. But I think we can do our episode with a cliffhanger. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, let's hold off. We've still got stuff to talk about. We've got Father Odin that we need to unpack a little bit more. We've got Harry on the boat. We've got Chichen Itza that we still need to talk about some of the some of the punching. Because, Ken, King. I'm sure that the, well, Earl there's King. the Earl King's punching We as haven't well. talked about any of the punching yet. We have so much punching to I, talk about. I mean, have we covered it all haven't we maybe maybe we'll is there other stuff to talk about we, i mean we talked about it all here didn't we okay we hope that ken comes back for the next episode <laughs> excuse me for a minute guys die <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> all right everybody we'll see you on the next episode thanks very much we'll talk to you then